This is the transition talk from the active to the more passive and moving towards stillness. And we do this through this rarely talked about element called pasadi, which we could translate as tranquility. But I want to emphasize the importance of the structure of the seven factors and how you can use them just in a practical way. And in fact, how you do use them in your practical life. You may not have noticed this or understood the system. Lots of people live in a very unsystematic way. They, they have chaotic schedules. So they sleep at random hours. They pad around till all hours of the night, they eat at the wrong time, they sleep at the wrong time, they sow chaos in their lives. So there's some order to the seven factors, and you can apply this to your life, and you can find in your life that you may have been applying this kind of thing. So I like to talk about the idea of, of gardening. And so a project which begins in the morning. So after you've had adequate sleep, you rise, then you have breakfast, you might have your coffee. Why? Because you want to wake up and you want enough bodily energy and you want to be prepared. Then you go out to this backyard project, which is the garden, and you of course, plan what you want. You, you have a sense of what you want to do that day. And this kind of gardening project doesn't get done by staring at it from the porch. So you don't spend much time sitting on the porch. You spend some time maybe planning where you're going to begin digging, which weeds you're going to remove, where you'd like the flowers... There may be brute work of just wheeling wheelbarrows around, or there might be refined work of trimming off petals that have advanced in age, and you, you want to just make the remaining flowers beautiful. The work can be fine, delicate, or heavy, muscular kind of work. But what you do is you work all morning. Morning is nice since you have your primary energy, and then you work into the afternoon. And there's sweat involved, there's activity involved, there's thought, there's planning involved. And then after all of this is done, then in the late afternoon you go inside and you have a shower, you might eat something, drink something, rehydrate, and then you come back out onto the porch and you sit down on the porch looking at your work for the day. You see how much progress you've made. And it's a satisfying experience now that you've rinsed off the dirt and the sweat. The activity and the energy is not something you regret. It's a joyful type of activity. So that description of the, the morning and afternoon of work and activity and planning and so forth are the first four factors of seven factors of awakening. They are mindfulness, 
Mindfulness is directed attention to the project that you have chosen. So you're not distracted by things. You actually have decided to garden that day. You're not split in your decision. That's what you want to be doing. And that's what you are going to undertake. And you've got to pay attention. You're not going to tip the wheelbarrow over, or forget to water things. You're going to do it with attention. And you're going to use your investigative skills, your ideas about what plants work in conjunction with other plants, where the sun shines on plants that need sun, where the shade is for the plants that need shade, advice from your gardening books, advice from master gardeners, etc. So this is the this is an investigative and examined kind of practice. And then with physical energy and mental energy, you're going to undertake these projects and it's going to last, that kind of energy is going to last all day and there's joy involved in this project. Lots of people, finally when they actually quit work and they get to retire, so forth, so-called retire, they retire to what? A gardening project. They, and they just express great joy. The great joy in their life is their, the backyard, it's the vegetable garden, the orchard, flower gardens, various things, they can talk about it. They delight, they even when they talk about it, they smile. So there's joy in this. So these are the first four of the seven factors. This inner work is also a gardening project, and it's not just inward. Although, if you don't have the inward activity, then you, your outward activities are not meaningful. So there's an orderly structure to your inner activities. But these take place during the day as you're, as you're moving through life as well. You're maintaining your, your mindfulness, your investigation of Dhamma. You're encountering that every time you get tied up in a traffic jam on your way to work, Dhamma is revealed. You can't get to work and you must get to work. And how are you going to resolve this? Are you going to create tension and stress? Are you going to object to the fact that things should be otherwise? Or are you going to accept things as they are? What are you going to bring to the ordinary situation? All of these things. Are you going to bring energy to your day? your ordinary activities of life, which you must do, your livelihoods, or even your, if you're a monastic, then you must go on the alms round in the morning. The sun is coming up. Are you energized to go through the village in an orderly fashion? You must make effort. You must be sweeping up the meditation hall, washing your robes. All of these things are necessary in whatever life. There is no life where you have no physical duties whatsoever. All of them need to be undertaken with energy and joy can arise in these types of activities as well. But now it is uh, perhaps after the afternoon meal and you have a chance to sit on the porch and maybe sip a glass of lemonade and look out on your work now this is, this is pasadi, this is the well-deserved peace that arises after your effort and your energy and the joy. 
joy transitions into serenity. This is a very interesting observation. It's something we can learn from, from the Buddha and the Dhamma, the, the structure. As you see in the Eightfold Path, right effort is the sixth factor, right mindfulness the seventh. And mindfulness, by the way, engages you in all kinds of efforts, right? So effort is, you're forewarned that effort lies ahead. You must make effort. You're going to be working hard on your garden, the gardening project of the mind and the heart. And then you're going to engage your attention, full demands on your attention. Can you keep your attention on the subject you've chosen, this work, this progress, this process, this project towards enlightenment? It's, it's an enormous uh, task. And the mind keeps flitting around, forgetting, changing its ideas. It's fickle. The Buddha talks about it as like a fish that's been flopping on the, on the banks of the river. It flops around, the mind runs hither and, and yawn. This thing has to be tamed and has to be brought to work on the project. It's only then we can approach samadhi. So this energy approaching samadhi. And the, there has to be a transition. So the transition goes from this energetic and joyful states to a more peaceful condition where your mind can actually collect. So you're sitting there with your lemonade, looking out, smiling, and you feel like you well deserve it. Now, if you'd done that, if you had started in the morning just sitting on your porch looking out, you would have drifted off. You would have crawled over to the hammock and spent some hours swinging back and forth, mostly asleep. You can't, you can't go directly to that state of peace without passing through energy and effort and structure and reflection. Otherwise, the energy is not enough. So if you remember, I talked about the relationship between samadhi or concentration and energy. These are the balance of the five faculties. The five faculties are faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Energy and concentration are balanced with the center of the teeter-totter being mindfulness. Mindfulness is keeping an eye on these two. They need each other. They balance each other. But if you head for samadhi too soon, what's the weakness of samadhi? Lethargy. Sleepiness, drowsiness, heaviness. And so you need to have first developed and cultivated energy. This is sometimes surprising to people who go to monasteries and are looking for a very, very peaceful kind of situation. They often find it's quite active, energetic. And people are energetic. They're, they're up late in the evening and they're up very early in the morning. There's a lot of energy. And there's also joy there, lots of joy, smiles, etc., sense of lightness, humor, perhaps. So this is a, a requirement. It's not just a solemn stillness, because if you attempt to get there too soon, you instead will encounter just drowsiness, sleepiness, and you might even get depression. You may give it a low, low-grade kind of experience. 
part of the reason why you get that is that you're withdrawing from the ordinary stimulations of the senses. So mostly in, in regular life, especially in the, at this time in this society, we're overstimulated. So we have a lot of sensory stimulation. And if people are brought away from that, then they will, perhaps to their surprise, they'll instantly doze off. You see people when they're, they have a lot of work demands and then they, the moment they're, they can't do that, if they get on an airplane to fly someplace, you see them just doze off. And most people don't realize that they have been draining their batteries with kind of scattered work and overstimulation. That's something that I get regular reports of when people come to the monastery for a retreat. They, they say to me, they admit that they have been having four-hour naps. <laughs> and I said, there's no surprise about this. It's because you have actually drained your battery way below where it should be, but you don't notice it because you're running. You're running and you're being stimulated and you don't know that you have drained your batteries way below their, their appropriate place. When you come to the monastery and I take your stimulations away and there's just a peaceful, quiet place and suddenly it hits you, you feel the fatigue, which is bone deep sometimes, to the marrow. People are surprised to see this. Now, if you stay long enough, though, eventually your energy comes back, you're restored, and you adjust to the lower sensory experience. This is a transition from high sensory experience to what used to be normal, you know, uh, before the age of televisions, radios, all these continuous entertainment, people lived in a very less stimulated environment. But if you're transitioning out of this age, now, particularly the younger generation of kids, they are raised with a, a cell phone in their hand, uh, stimulation continuous. And uh, there are some retreats for young people called Unplugged. <laughs> and it's, it can be terrifying for them to take away their cell phones, their earphones, their computers, and just have them out in nature for three or four days. You know, three or four days. When you're 13 years old and you have nothing, no stimulation, three or four days can be like an eternity. But it can also be a, a revelation. Now, this is the nature of things to reflect on in terms of when you reflect on these factors of enlightenment, understand how dependent on external stimulation you are and that you want to actually cultivate these active qualities, this joy and energy, without strong external sense stimulants. So this is like a quieter type of life, but it still is required to make the passage into the serenity without just fading into sleep. That energy, the internal energy and joy needs to be developed. When you go to retreats, again, as I give them here, I spend a good deal of time in the first few days just encouraging people to go outside, walk around, uh, get some light in their eyes, some wind on their face, the experience of nature, but not to succumb to uh, sleepiness and nodding off because you might think that you've been meditating, but actually just been nodding off. So it's much better that you 
spend the first while finding energy, but also getting enough sleep. So this is sometimes overlooked in retreats is that people are expected to get up at four o'clock in the morning if they're not used to it and they somehow just instantly fall into a schedule which monks follow, but it's not appropriate. So this is the nature of the inquiry. Who are you? What's your lifestyle? What kind of things do you need? Because people are individuals and so what is beneficial? Which comes first, uh, deep stillness or energy? And in fact, as you see, it's usually energy. And it, it is required, strangely enough, if you want serenity, you have to go through energy and joy to get there. So we come to this pasadi, this fifth factor of the seven factors of enlightenment. And it's the bridge. It's the transition before we can get into this samadhi. Samadhi is the sixth factor, and it's the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path. And it is daunting. People are quite amazed to find out how little control of the mind that they have. The first time they go to a meditation retreat, they're astonished to find how, how wildly out of control their mind is, how little capacity they have to control it how it rambles and roams and won't stay for a minute. And quite often they feel that they are the only ones that this occurs to. I assure them in the interviews that everybody else is going through the same thing. It's very rare to be a virtuoso of the mind. People with high accomplishments come to meditation retreats. Um, They can be neurosurgeons or concert violinists or neuroscientists or uh, rocket scientists, whatever, and they, they cannot, they, the, the type of uh, concentration which has gotten them through university and gotten them good jobs in uh, intellectual practice is not adequate for meditation. It's not, they're not in the same league. This is a special demand on attention. And it's an extraordinary demand. And that's, the Buddha gives you these exercises because they're, if you want to go towards what is supernormal, you're going to have to do supernormal practice. And it is indeed frustrating. So, by the way, if, if you're listening to this and you've had frustration with your meditation, you're normal. <laughs> yeah, but you're not supernormal. <laughs> so you want to transition between normality and supernormality, and it's done by, not by miracles, not by magic pills or anything like this. It's done by discipline and exercise. But discipline and exercise are not grim. It's not grim exercise. In fact, it can't be done. You can't get to a sense of lightness, joy, and peace through grimness. So in fact, strangely enough, you have to do the work, but it has to be accompanied by joy. It is not a grim exercise. It has to be a joyful exercise. So it is that same spirit that people bring to their their garden. They do, they sweat a lot out there. They perspire and they get a lot of work done, but somehow they report it as a joyful experience. So it's only with this joyful experience that you can make, get to this pasadi, this transitional phase. And quite often this is overlooked. There is no discussion of this. There is discussion usually of mindfulness and then discussion of samadhi, concentration. But there is this intermediate state. Now there is a 
terms used in uh, commentaries which, which are translated as the neighborhood of concentration. And this term is not really found in the suttas, but it's obvious to the, the monks who are working on, who are collecting the suttas and maybe commenting on the suttas, that you can have aspects of what is called samadhi, and at the same time, it's not really deep enough or strong enough to be jhana, the um, true entry into samadhi. But what has happened is the five hindrances have diminished, fallen away. So irritation, aversion, ill will has fallen away. Craving, desire has fallen away. Agitation has fallen away. Sloth has fallen away. Doubts have fallen away. But at the same time, you're not, you're still moving around, walking around, and you haven't entered into a deep enough state to qualify as, say, the first jhana. So what is that? That is what we would call this neighborhood of concentration. You're in, an, in a good neighborhood. And in fact, in order to cultivate this, one of the recommendations is that you um, arrange to be in a good neighborhood. What is a good neighborhood? Uh, good people around people who have tranquility, who embody tranquility, who radiate tranquility, who manifest it in their speech, in their facial expressions, in how they conduct themselves. So this is an assistance to this. The right temperatures, something so your body is not stressed. Food that is suitable for you so that your digestion and your inner state of health is not stressed. So these are kind of outward things which assist you in coming to this, to the neighborhood, this good neighborhood. This is a neighborhood where gunshots don't go off in the night, where screams and shouts are not heard, squealing tires. This is a neighborhood where the air is good, it's not polluted, People are not threatening, etc. So this is the neighborhood without the hindrances. By the way, so these hindrances, of course, can plague you. You can actually live in an in a upscale neighborhood, but if you're plagued with these, these hindrances, you're actually in a bad, you're in a ghetto and in a good neighborhood at the same time. So the, the good neighborhood really is, is an inner neighborhood. That's the only way to move up in life is to cultivate these, the cessation of the five hindrances and the cultivation of these positive um, mental states. So this pasadi is this, is this preliminary to samadhi, and it shares a lot of the attributes of it. It has this tranquility to it. You have passed through a kind of joy in activity, and it has serenity to it. You will once again, as you move on into deeper states of samadhi, joy again will arise. So this pasadi is not the end of joy. It is a transition to a deeper 
stronger state of inner focus. And it is required for the entrance to samadhi. So this is the entrance to this special cave. Now, samadhi is the sixth factor, and we need to talk a little bit about the first one or two uh, jhanas. Jhana is another term for samadhi, and you will see that samadhi, the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, is divided into four jhanas. And the, the first two contain some degree of reflection, and joy is an emotional quality to this. So this uh, arriving at samadhi, the best way to learn about these are through the similes that the Buddha offers for samadhi. And by the way, you should, um, if you want more and fuller descriptions of the jhanas, I have given uh, a number of talks on these jhanas. There's a collection of six talks particularly where we have illustrated and used all of the similes that the Buddha uses to give you ideas, of sort of visual images of what this is. You see, the mystery of, the, of your inner states, how can you talk about your inner states or another person's inner states? You don't have access to other people's minds. And the type of experiences that are exclusively mental and emotional, we, we have these, we have words for them, but how do they, how do we express them? How do we know what we're talking about? How do we know that we're sharing an experience that another person has? How do we know that? Well, we use these images from the external world, the similes from the external world, to try to give us an idea of these things. Just in the same way that art is a reflection of that, so you'll see beautiful landscapes with impressionistic feeling, and it's not really to give you a photographic image of the landscape, it's to give you the artist's emotional experience within the landscape. The same with portraits and other types of art. They are to point to inner experiences through outward means. This is what the Buddha has done with similes for these internal experiences, the jhanas. So this this uh, transition from pasadi to samadhi is very important, and the preliminaries of making sure that you go through the energetic and active things first. You may have been very frustrated in the fact that you can't get samadhi. So this is the this is the the value of the seven factors is to follow them in in that particular procession, so that you can verge on the edge of the samadhi. Some, of course, some things have been left out which are included in the larger Eightfold Path, and that is that you can't have any of these things if your virtue is sullied, if your behavior in regular life is outside the bounds of what we would call virtue, if your speech and your action are non-virtuous, you're going to have a wall between you and the ability to attain state of tranquility or deep samadhi. So that is not specifically talked about in the seven factors, but that's an assumed. So the seven factors are, again, I mentioned before at the beginning of the talk that 
the beginning of this whole series that the seven factors are a magnification of the last three factors of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi. So we arrive at samadhi, and the factors in the first jhana are applied and sustained attention, and we sometimes translate it as thought. So the Pali words are vitaka and vichara. Vitaka means actually to think, means actually to tap, you know, like to apply a thought again and again, tapping on something. The simile that the commentaries give is that a, a bee comes and circles a flower. So the circling of the flower is the bitaka, the applied thought. The landing on the flower is the engaged attention, so vichara. The bee sees the object of its, uh, where it needs to get its appropriate food from, and it circles it, looking for the right place to land, and then it lands. And you'll see it moving around. You'll see the bees do this quite often. So this is a beautiful simile for the nature of the mind coming to samadhi. And the samadhi is around a topic. And it is, there are lots of topics that this applies to. The first jhana can be the cultivation, say, of loving kindness, of compassion, of sympathetic joy. All can require this vitaka and vichara, applying and sustaining the thought process to a subject. It can even be such topics as death or the contemplation of the body, the contemplation of feelings, contemplation of the mind itself, the recollection of the Buddha, sort of an inspiring recollection of this great spiritual genius, recollection of the teachings, the Dhamma, the recollection of those practicing the Dhamma, the Sangha, these can be conducive to samadhi, the first jhana. And it is you're applying your mind and you are applying and sustaining, applying and sustaining. Eventually this circling of the flower diminishes and the landing increases. The emotions, primarily joy, PT. So we're back using the fourth factor of the seven factors as arisen again. It's part now of samadhi. So these, these are braided in together. PT of mind, joy of mind, and pleasure of the body. The body itself is experiencing a lack of pain and perhaps a sensation of pleasure as a person who has been walking in the heat and thirsty, sits down under a shady tree and has a glass of water and feels this sense of relief so the body is relieved and the feeling of joy arises. So it's a nature of relief. You have settled down and you you feel that you're not restlessly uh, wanting to go anywhere. You're actually enjoying being there. So this is the transition to samadhi. You're, you're actually fully, very, very present and there's no sense of wanting to be anywhere else. When the mind transitions and this vitaka, this circling the flower, diminishes, then the vichara, the landing on the flower, increases. 
And finally, the bee has landed on the flower and is collecting the pollen. And that's now that circling and landing, circling and landing no longer occurs. And a, an increased stillness comes over the mind. There's no element of thought processes. You move away from the activity of thought, but you're still fully conscious, highly lucid, energized. So energy has kept over into the, into the samadhi. Remember, we established ourselves in energy so that we wouldn't just drift off into sleepiness. This jhana is very, very still, very, very quiet, but it's not conducive to going to sleep. That's the, that primary energy, but it's very refined energy now. It's not a coarse energy, very refined energy. So this is the, the nature of the first two of the jhanas and the nature of samadhi itself. And so you see this transition from pasadi into... Which, which the pasadi has five things missing. It has the hindrances missing. It has some of the lighter elements of the first jhana there present. Vitaka, vichara, applied and sustained thought, joy, ease of body, and wholehearted uh, interest. So the last factor of the jhana is called ekagata, sometimes translated as one-pointedness, but we want to avoid the idea of... Um, too much laser-like focus that tends to give you a headache and lots of people will have a kind of a little tension headache between their eyes trying to focus but it's more the focus of a camera notice perhaps that this as you're watching on a computer screen that this image is nice and clear that's because we adjust the camera lenses and there's no tension in the camera lenses they're perfectly focused, but there's no tension in it. It's focusing like a telescope or a microscope is not a laser, it's a, just a lens. So the mind is fully engaged, wholeheartedly engaged with the subject. You are one with your topic of interest. You don't want to be anywhere else. You're not two. <laughs> You're not wanting to be somewhere else. You notice the bumper sticker on the, on, in the traffic jam? I'd rather be sailing. <laughs> so in this case, you're on the sailboat. You, you, don't, I, you don't have a sticker on your sailboat that says, I'd rather be in a traffic jam. No, you'd rather be on your sailboat. So you're, when you're sailing and you want to be sailing, that's ikagata. You are engaged in this, this beautiful spiritual practice, emotional practice, a mental clarification practice, and you don't want to be anywhere else. This is it. This is where you want to be. So this is the entrance to these jhanas. So we've actually talked about two, or one and a half of the uh, enlightenment factors, fifth being pasadi and the sixth being samadhi. But I will continue with the samadhi because it gets deeper and deeper. And we, so we'll deal fully with the sixth factor, samadhi, and the seventh factor, equanimity or upeka, for another time. <laughs>